Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. You may be seated indeed, loved ones. Such a precious time of worship. So good to be together. Let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. And here we are continuing on in our series that is entitled, Jesus Over the Church, Living in Uncommon Community. Now remember, so Lord willing, it'll be this week, and then we wrap it all up next week. And here is what we are speaking of when we are talking about uncommon community. You'll see it on the screen. It is God's people living out God's word together by God's spirit for God's glory. And we've looked at over the last eight weeks many different facets of that, and it's all leading to this. Today, we're going to see that an uncommon community is an uncommon culture. An uncommon community is an uncommon culture. This was rattling my heart this week in so many levels at the thought of this truth, that the church is to embody, get this, The church is to embody the culture of heaven on earth. Wow. I'll say it again. Just let it sit there on your heart and on your mind. The church of which Christ is the head is to embody the culture of heaven on earth, individually in our lives, but even in our families, in our relationships, and then corporately all together. And so there's a lot of talk about culture these days. Our culture has shifted dramatically over the last 20 months. Would you agree? Since COVID-19, the way we live, the way we speak, things that we need to think about now that we never needed to think about before. So let's get on the same page because culture is a hot button topic these days. What are we talking about when we talk about culture? You'll see it on screen. Culture is defined as the behaviors and beliefs, and write this down, this is important. You're confronted with this every day. The behaviors and beliefs characteristic of a particular group, of a particular group of people. The behaviors, the characteristic, the attitudes, the actions of a particular group of people. This, the culture The characteristics that make up a culture, these are the marks that show that one belongs to that group. That one belongs to that community. And so for all true Christians, individually and corporately as the church, what marks are to make up this community? The marks of the gospel. The marks of the gospel increasingly evident in our lives are to show that we are a part of the culture of heaven. Why is this so important? Well, you'll see it on the screen. Write it down. It's so key. The uncommon culture is the gospel culture. The uncommon culture, radical, distinct, set apart, is the gospel culture. And why is this so important that we drill down on this and that Paul right here in the book of Romans emphasize it throughout the entire book? Well, see what it is. Only the marks of the gospel 
make us distinct from the rest of the world. The gospel culture is radical. And it's only the marks of the gospel increasingly being lived out in our lives that make us distinct from the rest of the world. I love how one theologian, uh, Russell Moore, he put it this way. He says, get this, get this, let this sit over you. A church that loses its gospel distinctiveness is a church that has nothing distinctive with which to engage the culture. I'll say it again. A church that loses its gospel distinctiveness is a church that has nothing distinctive with which to engage the culture. He goes on to say, a worldly church is of no good to the world. A worldly church is of no good to the world. That should hit us between the eyes today, loved ones. See, because there's a problem. I think you can even see it as I read that. You start to get an idea. The problem is we don't naturally live in the gospel culture. We don't. Our flesh, in fact, let's look at what it is. Our flesh actually wants to live opposite to the gospel culture. And the result is, you can look around and see this, there's too much culture of the world in the church and not enough of the culture of the gospel in the world. I'll say it again. The problem is there's too much culture of the world in the church. The backbiting, the gossiping, the conflict, the division. And there's not enough culture of the gospel in the world. And the impact, just look at the impact, church. It is devastating on both fronts. In the world and in the church. It's devastating, and you can see it all around us. And here's our big idea we're going to unpack. What we have to realize, the main nail of this sermon right here. Since we have been saved through the gospel, we must live out the uncommon culture of the gospel. Since we have been saved through the gospel, we must increasingly, in the power of the Holy Spirit, live out the uncommon culture of the gospel. And so here we are, here we land ourselves right here in Romans chapter 12. It's 57 AD, first century. And the Apostle Paul is writing from Corinth to the churches in Rome. You'll see a picture of it on the screen there. Paul's over in Corinth and he's writing to many churches in Rome. And don't forget, look at what these churches are facing. The Roman culture is an increasingly pagan culture. These churches are facing the onslaught of a a Roman culture that is increasingly pagan and godless. And Paul's purpose for writing the book of Romans is that he's writing to address a tension that's happening in the church between the Jewish and Gentile believers. How about this? Even today... He's writing to address the tension between vaxxed and unvaxxed believers. There's tension going on. It's the same thing. This is why it's so important to read the Bible in context, loved ones. Because then you can identify how Scripture speaks to us today properly. Right? And so there's this tension between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And the churches are in need of both doctrinal and practical instruction on how to understand and increasingly live out a gospel culture in the midst of a pagan culture that was increasingly hostile towards them. Increasing persecution coming against the church. So I love the book of Romans 
the first 11 chapters of Romans are all a doctrinal treatise of the gospel. It's unpacking the gospel. And then the last chapters, chapters 12 to 16 of Romans, chapter 12 is the pivot, where it teaches us the practical instruction on how to live out that doctrine. All right, And so here in our text today of Romans 12, 9 to 13, we see how the gospel is to be lived out in the daily life of God's people with one another. I love how one commentator put it. He says, starting in Romans 12, these are the family duties that we have towards each other. Right here. The family duties of the family of God that we have towards one another. And right here in Romans 12, this is a summary of the life or the community that is pleasing to God. And it summarizes everything that we've been unpacking over the last eight weeks. They can all be summarized right here in Romans 12. He's bringing it all together, the uncommon culture of the uncommon community. It's the summary of it all. And here we see three marks of the uncommon gospel culture that Jesus, hey, be encouraged, loved ones, be encouraged. Three marks of the uncommon gospel culture that Jesus promises to bless every time. Promises to bless them and advance his kingdom through no matter what the church is facing, no matter what's happening now, no matter what will happen tomorrow. And that these marks that we must increasingly embody in his power if we are to live faithfully as a culture, as a community of heaven on earth. Ready? Ready to read God's word? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. The marks of the true Christian. Here it is. Let's read it together. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious and holy God, and I thank you for your love for your church that you would give us this blueprint of the gospel culture increasingly, just like the first century church was facing there, increasingly living in a hostile culture. Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. Jesus Christ, we are your church. You say what you want to say to your church. Lead us through your word. Holy Spirit, lead us through the word of God. And as Olivia prayed earlier, I pray you'd find humble hearts, receptive hearts, not defensive hearts, but to say, here I am, Lord. And that even right now, we'd be casting off our distractions, saying, God, this is distracting me right now. And and I cast this anxiety on you because I know you care for me. May we find freedom refreshment, conviction, strengthening through the beautiful word of God tonight. Build your church, guard my mouth from error, and say what you want to say, Jesus. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here of the uncommon, first characteristic is this. The uncommon culture is a gospel culture of genuine love. Of genuine Love And the question that's drawn out from these first two verses of the text is this. The love of Jesus 
must mark the community of Jesus. I just say that again. We just need to hear that again. The love of Jesus must mark the community of Jesus. Not loving like the world loves, but the love of Jesus must mark the community of Jesus. Hey, 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 is your love genuine? Is it genuine? Look at verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. See what Paul does there? Paul begins the summary of the family duties in the house of God by emphasizing the greatest or supreme virtue that God calls his people to live with. It is out of this virtue that everything else that we talked about flows out of. We see it, supreme virtue in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It is the one that all others ultimately are going to flow out of, and it is to be our enduring motivation for why we live how we live, and ultimately, hey, let's shoot it straight here, how the world will know we are Christ. And what is that? It is the command to love. Now, the word love there, let's be clear, because there's a lot of distortion in culture today about what love really is. The word love here is agape. Agape, and it means doing what God prefers into the life of another. Let's say it again. Doing what God prefers, not what you or I, our flesh, may want to prefer, but what God prefers into the life of another in our speech, in our thoughts, and in our actions, it is a supernatural, God-given, God-driven love for one another. Now, I want you to notice. Did you notice something from this text? I want you to notice how we are called to love one another. What does it say? Love one another superficially. Nope. Everyone say, it's not there. It's not there. Yes, love that over here. It's not there. It says, love, let love be genuine. That word genuine there, circle that, it means this. It means sincerely. Love one another sincerely. Love one another with purity. Let's drill down a little bit more. It means love one another and not putting it on. Just putting on a good face. It, it means to love one another without hypocrisy. To love one another without selfish motives behind why you're serving someone else. <laughs> it's the expressions of love towards another where our hearts are truly, genuinely in line with our actions. In line with our actions, and it is centered completely on the needs and welfare of the one loved, and it does whatever is necessary to meet those needs. This is genuine love, is love with no strings attached. Love with no strings attached. Like, think about this in our culture. How radical is that from our culture today? Love with a catch. I will show you love and serve you, but really my motives are, I, I want to get something from you. Happens all the time. That's common in the world, in the culture. I'm going to love, like, think about this. You ever watch those movies? You ever watch those movies where um, 
A wife brings her husband like a meal or, or a husband takes his wife out to their favorite restaurant and they look at each other like, oh, I love you. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Well, how many times do we say, oh, I love you, but we're like, I actually love how you make me feel. Let's examine the motives of the heart. That is not a genuine expression of love. Sure, you may like what happened there, but really is your love for that person. What are you communicating when you say that? I'm glad I got something out of this deal. Genuine love is love with no strings attached. It's saying, or I'll love you this way, but I'm expecting you to serve me in some way so I can, I can get ahead. That's not genuine love. You see, in verse 9, he characterizes, he gives a clear picture of what genuine love looks like in the life of one another. Did you catch it? Verse 9, keep going in the text. Go back to the text. He says, here's what genuine love looks like. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil. That, the word abhor there, circle that, it means to actually hate evil. Hate it. Jesus hates it. We're called to hate evil. Hate or detest or actually be horrified by the thought of being hypocritical in your love for one another. Be horrified at the thought of grumbling and complaining. Let the thought of gossiping or slandering someone else in the church be horrific to you. Or the thought of you self-promoting yourself to push and get ahead as this culture just so exalts. God says, let, let it be horrific. It is putrid. It is corrupt. That's convicting. He says, abhor what is evil. And the word evil there just means wicked or morally corrupt. And he says, what does he do? So we abhor that. We hate that. But he says, here's a mark of genuine love. You hold fast to what is good. Hold fast there means to intimately cleave to, like for dear life. Hold it close, so close. Intimately cleave to what is good. Now, what is, what is the good? Because good can be subjective in our culture today, right? So we need to get God's idea of what goodness truly is. Write this down. Here's what that word good means. Ready? It means, it means what comes from God. Hold fast to what comes from God. Hold fast to what is honorable, and acceptable to God. Not what this culture says is acceptable. Not what your flesh may say is acceptable in that moment. What God says is acceptable. Intimately cleave to that. What sort of things? His word. If our love for God is genuine, our love for his word will be genuine. Increasingly. Because it's his power at work in us to produce that. Cling to his words. Hold fast to the actions that he does. The words that he speaks. Hold fast to the thoughts that he has. And to the love that he gives. If I could sum it up, I'd say it this way. You'll see it on the screen. To hold fast to what is good is to hold fast to God himself. To hold fast to what is good is to hold fast or cling intimately to God himself in abiding. Remaining. John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. And you see this genuine love? Let's break this down. It means loving what God loves. 
in how we treat each other and how we think about each other and hating what he hates. I love how one commentator, Tony Merida, put it this way. I was blessed by this in the study this week. He says, love is not genuine when it leads a person to do something evil, allows a person to do evil, or avoids doing that which is good. There's genuine love right there. Let's break this down. Love is not genuine when it leads a person to do something evil, into sin. Leading someone, A-OKing sin in another's life. Leading them into sin. Jesus has strong words for that in the Gospel of Matthew. But also, notice this, love is not genuine when it allows a person to do evil. So often, in the name of quote-unquote love, we see a brother or sister walking in sin, and we're like, man, I just care more about them loving me and protecting that relationship than actually showing genuine love and lovingly correcting them through God's word and speaking the truth in love. I see that person walking in sin, but man, I just don't want to run out because I love myself so much, my fear of man is kicking into high gear. I can't stand the thought. Genuine love does not allow a person to continue on in evil. Genuine love comes beside them, not condemning them in harshness, but as a brother or sister in Christ coming along and saying, look, we see this going on. Here's what God's word says. Can we bear this burden with you? Do you see it? And calling them to repentance, speaking the truth in love, and bearing that burden with them, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. And so fulfilling the law of Christ. Remember, the goal of correction is restoration, not condemnation. And and genuine love does not avoid doing that which is good. It doesn't avoid doing that which is good. And from this, you see right there in verse 10, Our love is to be genuine. Go back to the text. It says we are to love one another with brotherly affection. That means, here, the picture is of a family. Of course it is. It's the house of God. It's the family of God. With brotherly affection means intimate affection. Tenderly. Not harsh. No shouting matches. Tenderly as a family. And display this. How is this genuine love displayed right here? By outdoing one another and showing honor. Here's what this means. I'm so blessed by this. Oh, Lord, I pray for a great, great work of your spirit through this tonight. Here we go. Watch this. It means this. It means outdoing one another and showing honor means taking the lead in honoring others. I'm going to take the lead. I'm not going to wait for someone to come to me and show me honor. I'm taking the lead in showing honor, whether I get it or not. I'm going to take the lead in honoring my brothers and sisters. And here's what that term honor means. Ready for some honorology 101? Okay, watch this. It means to take the lead in eagerly esteeming. That's what honor is. Right here in God's, in God's truth, right here. Eagerly esteeming. That means affirming the value or worth of another. Wow. What a culture. Look at the culture of this world. Affirm and eagerly value and honor yourself. God flips that on the head. You don't think the gospel culture is radical? It's like, no, no, no. You take the lead. I take the lead in honoring and esteeming and affirming the value of others. From the youngest child to the unborn baby to the oldest adult. We are to affirm and honor 
the value of another. Would you say that's radical? So would I. So would I. Not, not honoring ourself, not promoting ourself, but of others showing genuine appreciation of one another. Hey, loved ones, when's the last time you truly showed some genuine appreciation, not flattering your brother or sister in Christ, but genuinely appreciated them? Say, so you know what? This is what I see God doing in you. I just want you to know it's such an encouragement. And don't expect to get anything back and say, well, I see this in you. No, don't. Just let love be genuine, right? Let it be genuine. And it's amazing. I love small groups. Small groups are amazing for this. In our small group on, on Wednesday night, it was like literally going around the circle. It was at testimony after testimony after testimony of this very thing, and it was astounding what Jesus did with that. Oh, praise the Lord. You're putting others first in word, in thought, in action. The gospel culture is to be a culture of honor and affirmation. Now just think. Just look at, look at the contrast. You think the world would notice this? If the church lived this way in the power of Christ? See, it's completely radical and it's completely beautiful. And the culture promotes the exact opposite of these things. Hold fast to the things of this world, not the goodness of God. You know, fake love. Love with a catch. You know, love your spouse. That's great. You get a spouse. You have a boyfriend, girlfriend. That's great. But as soon as they stop meeting your needs, you can bail on them and go get another one. It's love with a catch. It's not genuine. It's not the love we are called to show. Oh, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, you got a little conflict? Just hop churches. It's only a matter of time before you have a conflict in the next one. Like, who are we kidding? Love that is genuine is love that sticks. There's no catch. There's no catch. And, it, and, and this culture promotes loving and honoring of self over others. But I want you to notice and hear the words of our beautiful Lord and Savior. You'll see them on the screen. John 13, 34 to 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. Genuinely, brotherly, sacrificially, holding fast to the things of God. You also are to love one another. Watch this. By this, by your genuine love, gospel love fueled by your Savior at work in, in and through you. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Distinct culture, right there. If you have love for one another. There it is. There's the witness. One of the church's greatest witnesses in this culture is the genuine love we have for one another. Love without a catch. That's the call. So question, the love of Jesus must mark the community of Jesus. Question for you and I today. And just humble ourselves right here as we hear this. Is your love genuine? Are we genuinely serving our brothers and sisters or, or are we wanting them well maybe I'll, they'll think more highly of me if I do that that's not genuine love think about it is your love genuine you say well how do I know let's do some x-ray questions ready 
little biblical counseling. Let's go right from the text. X-ray questions. Number one, how do we know if what I'm about to say, if what I'm about to speak is coming out of genuine love? First question is this. Go right from the text. Is my love for others more centered on myself than on them? Am I doing this so I can get ahead in their eyes or in my own? Am I doing this to get something from them ultimately? Whether they think better of me, whatever it is. Is my love for others more centered on myself than on them? Loving with a catch. Okay, secondly, x-ray question. Am I entertaining evil instead of abhorring it? You see, the abhorring evil is a mark of genuine love for the Lord and genuine love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I entertaining evil in my speech? We talked about corrupt speech a few weeks ago. How's it going, loved ones? How's it going, Hope Ottawa? Am I entertaining evil? Well, you know, that's God's word, but I got my own way of doing things. Or am I abhorring it in my actions, in my thoughts of myself or others? in my entertainment, in my self-promotion. Hey, can I just clear this up? Self-promotion, pushing your way to the front, never comes from a place of genuine love for another. Ever. It's a love for self that's driving it. That's so common in the rest of the world, isn't it? Okay, third x-ray question. Ready? Am I holding fast and clinging to God? or the things of this world? Am I holding fast or cling, and clinging to God, just like the text says, or am I holding fast and clinging to the things of this world? Am I loving what God loves increasingly? His word, his presence with me. Am I loving prayer and communion with God, the worship of Christ? Or am I loving my status in this world? Am I loving my sports? Am I loving my entertainment? Am I loving my job? Am I loving finances? And every time I have a choice between the two, I'm going here. I'm chasing the things of this world. And God, I'll get to him later. Which is it? Here it is. Last x-ray question right from the text. Am I taking the lead? Am I taking the lead to eagerly pursue honoring others? Or am I seeking honor for myself? Am I taking the lead? Say, hey, I want to pray for you. Hey, I saw this happen. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. I see God at work in your life. Yes! Affirming the value of them. I'm so thankful you're here. From the youngest child to the oldest adult, am I honoring others? And loved ones, remember, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But as the Lord reveals this, repent. Repent. Repentance is the path to joy. Repentance is the path to life. Freedom. Peace in Christ. And then request. Ask the Lord, Lord, strengthen me to love you more and to love my brothers and sisters genuinely. And he will. He will. It's his desire. And then respond in obedience in his power. See, the uncommon culture is a gospel culture of genuine love. And from this is a culture of, ready? Here it is. A gospel culture of fervent service. Fervent service, of course, because this is the overflow of a genuine love. Fervent service. The service of Jesus must mark the people of Jesus. Hey, question. Are you serving fervently? Am I? 
Let's read 11 and 13. Goes on to say, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Here's an evidence of that service. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, Paul says that the genuine love that we have for one another is to manifest itself, not in slothful service to one another. The word slothful there, circle it. Here's what it means in the, in the original language. It means to be lazy. To be lazy in the household of God. To be indifferent to the needs that are around. Yeah, I know they need that. Nah, no thanks. To be reluctant. Well, you know what? Yeah, I see that need there, but I got so many things that I think I just need to get straight in my own life first. And even though there's these needs, it means to be, or ultimately, disinterested. Disinterested. And okay, there's the church, there's my brothers and sisters, the needs that are there. I'm just, it's not really my thing. Okay. Rather, notice the text. Genuine love for Christ and our brothers and sisters is shown. It shows itself through zealous and fervent service to the Lord by serving one another. Right from here. By serving one another. And let's get clarity on what zealous means. Because when you think zealot, you're like, that's like a crazy person. No, 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 watch this. The word zealous here, circle it, it means this in verse 11. Zeal means diligent effort that elevates God's priorities over the priorities of self. That's awesome. Zealous means to expose or to give diligent effort to things that elevate God's priorities in your marriage, God's priorities in your life, God's priorities in your job, God's priorities in the church over your own priorities of the flesh. My priority for comfort, my priority for convenience, my priority for control, my priority for my time and my way on things. No, no, no. He says, do not be slothful in that zeal. Be diligent in elevating God's priorities. And notice what it says. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. One of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament, right here. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. The word fervent there, I love this. Ready? It means to boil hot. Are you boiling hot today, loved ones? Are we boiling hot for the things of the Lord today? Man, COVID tries so hard, and, and the enemy tries so hard to let our love for Christ grow cold. Are we boiling hot, fervent in spirit, to burn with passion and commitment in service to God? Now, let me get some clarity here. When you hear zealous, because we're like, yeah, I'm all in, and then we're doing my own thing. Watch this, watch this. This is not what he's talking about. Watch Clarity, the word fervency here doesn't mean you're out of control. How do you know the Holy, it's God-given fervency of the Holy Spirit? It's under control. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. All right? It means we're under control, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We don't lose control, as John Stott said. We gain it. We stop pushing our own way and agenda that the fervency can, even, even a good thing that fervency is, can lead to us pushing our own way. I gotta do this now. Oh, I'm on fire. I gotta do it. I gotta get this. And then we start getting angry when God's timing doesn't work on our time frame. When God's ways aren't our ways. We start getting upset with that. See, watch this. This is important. The word fervency here means heat under control. 
And it's focused on giving God our best as we humble ourselves in submission to Christ and serve the Lord. Heat under control. If you think of it this way, right? Two pictures. You've got a wildfire, right? Ripping, raging through a forest, destroying everything, right? In its path. Homes, animals, forest, no respecter of any of it. So that's one sort of heat. There's another sort of heat that is in a blowtorch. One is destructive, one is productive. To put the heat under control is what Paul is speaking of here and what Christ calls us to. The fervency, the under control, under submission. See, wrongly directed zeal is dangerous and destructive. Wrongly directed zeal. Even it's like, man, yeah, we got to reach the nations and do all this. Yes, that's amazing. Praise the Lord. But is it that under control? Is that submitted under the Lord to his time and his way? We gotta have live worship. We gotta do this. Yes, yes, we do. Praise the Lord. Is it under the Lord's time or yours? Fervency can be destructive and dangerous if it's not under control of the Holy Spirit. See, rightly ordered zeal glorifies God and blesses people. Not just, and here's what he's talking about here. Don't just be fervent, loved ones. We are called not just to be fervent for the ways that we want to be serving. Well, I want to serve this. When they get a men's ministry, I'm in. No, what's God put in front of you right now? It's fervent for every opportunity he puts in. In front of us. Not just fervency for how we want to be serving. Rather, it's serving fervently in any way Jesus gives opportunity to serve him. And this church, as Olivia announced earlier, there's a whole bunch of different ministries to jump in. Welcome ministry, registration, setup, production, Hope Kids, worship, website. And I just love seeing this increasingly happening in this church. Just stepping in, saying, I'm there. Those who signed up for Hope Kids last week, Lord, bless you in that. There's a fervency to me, like I'm going after the next generation. And you see, in addition to this, notice the, the example, the clear example Paul gives in verse 13. In addition to this, Paul highlights... Two other ways that we are to serve one another. Notice the text. Go right back to it. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. What is this? It means to share in the needs of the saints. To actually make that person's need as if it was your own. That's amazing. Make that to see the need of that person and be like, okay, that's my need too. Because we are all part of the family of God. When one person is hurting, we're all hurting. When one person has a need, we've got a need. He says to look at the need of that person and to make it as if it is your own so you can relieve it. And the specific focus here is financial generosity, contributing to the needs. See a brother or sister in need? It's like, okay, we'll cover this. That's the same as being our need. And then you notice the second thing. Contributing to the needs of the saints, there's financial contribution, but then... Seek to show hospitality. The seek hospitality, the word seek there, I love this picture. It's actually of a hunter chasing a prize. We're to be hunting down opportunities to be hospitable. Eagerly opening our homes to bless others. Hunting down the opportunity. Who's new at church? Who's this? Who's, who's got this need? Who don't I know very well? Are you hunting down the opportunities. It actually is, the word hospitality here, philozenos, means to 
the, have a love of strangers. Isn't it easy to open our homes to people we know really well? Let's be honest, right? Right? It means the love of strangers and the readiness to entertain them in one's home. See, in our context, in the early church, it was constantly, the church was constantly opening their homes to other believers who were traveling, regardless of their race, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their ages, or the size of their families, or regardless of their job. Being a brother or sister in Christ was enough. No cliques. Is it enough for you and I today? It's a step out of our comfort zone, isn't it? But is it enough? We're called to have it as enough. And the motivation, what's our motivation for this? Look at God's hospitality towards us. There's our motivation. Look at the hospitality of God Almighty into your life and mine. Hospitality is the very character of God. The very character. He welcomes us to come to him. That's why Romans 15 goes on to say, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you into his family for the glory of God. Hospitality is the very character of God. Hey, question, loved ones. Do you think the world would notice this today? We did this especially in our culture today. You bet they would. The common culture promotes and celebrates the opposite of this. If they're not part of the same skin color, think twice about having them in your house. It promotes laziness over fervency. Laziness to the things of God. Serving of self over serving of Christ. But notice this, what the words of Jesus right here. Talk about fervency. Romans 10, 43 to 45, you'll see it on the screen. Jesus says this, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all, the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, fervent service. There's our example. But to serve and to give his life to the point of death, pouring himself out as a ransom for many. When he came to earth and lived a perfect life for 33 years as fully God and fully man, and he went to the cross taking the wrath of God that he would welcome us into the family of God for all who repent of their sin and confess him as Lord and Savior. And he died and rose again three days later, defeating sin and death for all time. And now he stands ready to forgive and give eternal life to all who call on the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the hospitality of God. The service of God. See, the service of Jesus must mark the people of Jesus. Question, loved ones. Are you serving fervently? Are you? Even when it's not convenient. Even when your ducks aren't in a row yet. Even when it's not in your comfort zone. Even when you're not feeling like it. Even when you're busy with other things. Are you still fervent in your service to the Lord? We're commanded to be. We're called to be. As Jesus was. See, and and loved ones, COVID-19, these last 20 months, let's speak to the culture for a moment, has put fervent service to the test. 
hasn't it? COVID-19 has put fervent service to the test. It's now easier than ever to allow apathy or complacency to creep in and stay shut in, isolated, letting your needs trump the needs of your brothers and sisters. And we must ask the Lord, loved ones, to search our hearts and repent of this and take the opportunities Jesus has put in front of us to fervently press into him and serve his beautiful bride with our time, our talents, and our treasures. Right what we see here. We must repent and return to him. What is your next step? What is your next step? Maybe it's to serve. Stepping in to serve. Whether you're new here or you've been here for a long time. Sign up online. HopeOttawa.ca. Sign up to serve and we'll get you plugged in. We'll walk it through with you. How about this? Or maybe it's help a family in the service. Like even as I'm looking out right now, I love the fact that as I see families come in, singles in our church immediately go and sit beside them to care for their kids during the service. Welcome to the hospitality of Jesus. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. How about this? Meeting the practical needs of our brothers and sisters. When there's a need in the church, you hear about it, you're, you're taking the lead. You're taking the lead. How about this? Maybe for some of us, our next step is to give joyfully, generously, and sacrificially in our finances to the church, meeting the needs and caring for the flock. And not just our church. The money that comes in here, as you're going to see in our Christmas offering, is going to be used for churches, crisis pregnancy centers, all across this nation and across this world. And there are needs of the greater family of God around us that we are called to step in to bear as our own. Or maybe it's this. Your next step is to open your home and use it to bless others. To bless others. Get to know them. Share a table. Share a life. See, and I want to challenge you with this. The people you don't know as well. Invite them over or take them out for dinner. Share a table. Or, or the, here it is. Young, young couples, singles, students, invite a family that has a lot of kids over. And you're like, well, my, my apartment can't handle that. That's okay. Invite yourself over and bring a meal with you. And if you're like, well, wait a sec, I can't, I can't go in there. Okay, have a meal delivered to them. Just take up the challenge. Let's get after that. Because we were talking about it in small group, and it was said that, you know, the larger the family, the less the invite. And that's exactly right. Step in, loved ones. Step in. Seek to show earnestly, like a hunter on a prize. Who can I show hospitality to in the name of Jesus? It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. The uncommon culture is a gospel culture of genuine love, fervent service, and anchoring all of this. Our last point today is this. We see the uncommon culture is a gospel culture of, ready? Steadfast faith. Here's our anchor. Steadfast faith. Verse 12, the faith of Jesus must mark the people of Jesus. Hey, loved one, will you stand fast? Will we as a church stand fast? Look at verse 12. Go back to the text. So good. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. See, Paul then exhorts the churches that if they are to live faithfully in upholding a gospel culture in an increasingly pagan world, They must remain in the power of Jesus, steadfast in their faith at all times. 
and persevere in Christ no matter what may come against them. Not letting emotions or feelings dictate their faith. Letting faith trump our feelings. Feelings are great followers, but they're horrible leaders. It means standing fast in faith no matter what's happening around them and not letting their circumstances determine their faithfulness, but letting the truth of God do that. Same for us today. And you may say this. You may be sitting here and you're like, I want that. I want that. Anyone, like, did the steadfastness of anyone's faith get tested over the last 20 months? Maybe it was just me. Anyone? Anyone? Hands up. Hands up. Okay, good. We're not alone. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's hard to stay steadfast, isn't it? Just like this, emotional roller coaster after emotional roller coaster. Well, what's going to happen with the new variant and this and, and the new vaccine? And what's going to happen here? And what's going to happen here? He says, steadfast, loved ones. Steadfast. Steadfast in faith. Don't let your emotions trump your faith. Let your faith fuel your emotion. You would say, I'm tired of getting tossed. I want steadfast faith. What does it mean to have steadfast faith? Well, praise the Lord for his word. It's so clear. Look at this. We see three marks of steadfast faith. We must increasingly live out in Christ's power. Real quick. Ready? Verse 12. Three things. Let's go. Write them down. Number one, confident praise. Sign of steadfast faith is confident praise no matter the circumstance. Right from the, right from the text, rejoice in hope. Don't forget the church is facing increasing persecution. And Paul says to rejoice in the hope they have. What's the hope? The confident expectation of what is certain. Remember, it's not like, gee, I hope the Sens win this weekend. <laughs> that's not... That's like, don't put your hope in that, all right, all right? Don't put your hope in that. But it's like, it's the hope of a conf... Go sends, by the way. All right, but it's the hope of a confident expectation of what is certain. And what is that? What's the hope he calls us to hear? The hope of the gospel. The expectant return, confident expectation of the return of Christ soon and ultimately the redemption of us and the entire world when we are removed from the presence of sin and we are in his presence for eternity. I said it two weeks ago, I'll say it again. We are now the closest we've ever been in human history to the return of Jesus. Does that fire you up? Come on, be confident, rejoice in the hope. No, regardless of the circumstances, it's confident praise from living with an eternal perspective that fuels a steadfast faith no matter the situation. So hey, hey, question. There's the uncommon focus. Are you praising with confident praise of the hope that awaits you if you are saved? No matter what's in front of you. Secondly here, steadfast faith, confident praise. Number two, look at, read the text, enduring patience. Enduring patience. It says, be patient in tribulation. The word patient there means to remain under or bearing up, persevering in God's power in that trial. Steadfast faith is a patient faith. It knows the Lord is at work. It knows the Lord will provide. It's continuing to trust in God and his word when you can't see. It's continuing to trust knowing that he is sovereign and will give you all you need, and will only work out of his love and goodness towards you. Hey, question, loved ones. Where do you need to stop trying to find a way out of that situation you're in? Where do you need to stop trying to find a way out and humble yourself under the hand of God and remain patient in where he has you for your good 
and his glory. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait on the Lord. Lastly, here it is, steadfast faith, constant prayer. Constant prayer, verse 12, look at this. Be constant in prayer. Constant means to stay steadfast. To give constant attention and be devoted to prayer. The uncommon culture is the culture of prayer. At all times and in all things. Why? Because prayer is our declaration of dependence on God. That says, God, there is no steadfastness apart from you. I will be shaken. I need you and I want you. Increase my faith and help my unbelief. You see it on the screen. Constant prayer is a fuel line of steadfast faith. Stay anchored to the one who is over all. Will you call on him? See, Jesus modeled and fulfilled this gospel culture of genuine love, fervent service, and steadfast faith perfectly for 33 years. When he came to earth and through him, we have been given all we need. That's encouraging. All we need to live this way. And he stands ready to empower us and to establish us to live out the gospel culture he calls us to be and promises to draw many others to himself through it and will establish his kingdom for his glory. Loved ones, let's go. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. And as I walk through this text, I'm reminded of how stunning you are that you fulfilled each of these perfectly, and we have no chance to do that apart from you. Lord, may this house be filled with a constant prayer, just saying, Lord, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Help me to live in the gospel culture you call me to have in my family, in my life, and in this church. And Lord, would you use this so powerfully May the culture of light pierce the culture of darkness increasingly in this day as your people who are called by your name hold fast to you in confident praise, in patient endurance, in steadfast faith, in genuine love and fervent service saying, Jesus, you must increase as we must decrease. Loved ones, will you stand and respond with us in worship today?